Hello, and welcome to Fishman Radio. I am your host, Sonny Rosano, and I'm joined today by Fishman Director of the General Assembly 4 Committee, Devin Duke. Devin, would you like to introduce yourself? Hello, hello. My name is Devin Duke. I am an international studies and political science major at the University of North Florida, and I'm honored to uh, sit down with you today and discuss this uh, nuclear safety and security with you. Awesome. So before we get into it, um, just in order to help you get the, uh, the delegates to know you a little better, uh, I have a question. Uh, I uh, know that you live in Jacksonville. Um, are there any like, what's your favorite place to eat in Jacksonville at like 11 at night, like 24 seven place? Oh no, 24 seven. It has to be Taco Bell, but Taco Bell's everywhere. Um, Baja Blast, so good. <laughs> um, but in terms of Jacksonville, there's not much like in terms that's unique to Jacksonville that's open 24 seven, but there's this really good place on Riverside, if you're familiar with Jacksonville, called Carolina Jack's. It has the best barbecue, the best fries, ranch, and bacon. Oh my goodness, you guys have to try it out if you're ever in Jacksonville. All right, well, now I'm really hungry for barbecue. That <laughs> sounds great. Um, so let's, uh, without further ado, we can get into it. Uh, we've got two topics for GA4. The first topic is this one with Devin, nuclear safety and security. And then the next part, uh, which will feature Bryce Tapp, is uh, a review of the UNRWA. So uh, we can get started right now with nuclear safety. So Devin, can you explain for us the uh, International Atomic Energy Agency and its modern role in nuclear safety and security? Yeah, so the International Atomic Energy Agency is an international organization that seeks to promote peaceful usage of nuclear energy and to prevent the usage of nuclear capabilities for any military purpose. In terms of the organization's modern role in nuclear safety and security, the IAEA provides oversight administration over countries that possess nuclear capabilities and serves as an intergovernmental forum to promote peaceful applications of nuclear energy and technology. Great. So considering that, what is the current state of nuclear safety in the world now? How is uh, the, for example, the Nuclear Non-Proliferation Treaty, the NPT, helped or hindered the process of preventing nuclear disaster in the, in the recent past? Yeah. So, you know, this is a very... Uh, overarching question, you know, in terms of the current state of nuclear safety in the world right now, it's arguably one of the safest, but most unpredictable statuses at this time. In terms of adherence to strict guidelines and oversight, the IAEA monitors and tracks dealings with nuclear energy that hold nation states accountable to ensuring safety and adhering to protocols. But however, arguably, the world is the most safe, that than it has ever been in these terms. However, in terms of nuclear threats, Pakistan, India, Israel, and North Korea, and other rogue actors remain unpredictable. And individuals such as Abdul Khan, who went rogue and sold vital nuclear technologies to governments. The NPT has indeed helped and hindered the process of preventing nuclear disaster from environmental to outright military militaristic concerns. The NPT has slowed pro proliferation and most countries do adhere to these guidelines. However, it should be acknowledged that the NPT is not the most effective treaty as there are 
countries not either signed on to it or adhere to its guidelines. Delegates should remember that you can't force a country to enter the NPT, no matter how much international isolation or sanctions are placed. Global efforts to prevent, slow down, curb, punish, and reverse the actions of Iran and North Korea would be much more difficult without the NPT. The treaty has its positives, it has its negatives, and it's up to delegates and their country's ideologies um, on whether or not the NPT needs to be strengthened. Yeah, like you're saying, the NPT has a lot of uh, good, but a lot of uh, it falls short in a lot of places. So, and I think that's where uh, the GA4 and the delegates come in. So how can they, with the GA4, help strengthen the MPT to help reinforce nuclear safety worldwide? So that's a very, very good question, but also complex. Um, you know, I will say that it's important to remember that the General Assembly Fourth Committee can only deliver recommendations on international issues. Um, not necessarily enact them themselves, but this does not mean that it's an ineffective body. In terms of how the GA4 can help strengthen the NPT, the General Assembly should consider strengthening the IAEA verification system, enforcing measures to deal with non-compliance, to even calling for an adoption of a legally binding resolution that holds states accountable if agreed upon terms in the NPT are not being met, or if a state such as Iran or North Korea withdraw. But there are consequences to these actions, and the delegates should consider if um, these actions should be enforceable. Um, but however, this is a very subjective um, question, and I encourage delegates to think of creative ways as to either strengthen the NPT or consider different options from the NPT. Awesome. And while delegates are creatively figuring out how to strengthen the MPT even more so. They need to really think about uh, this next topic about the uh, Iran nuclear deal or the JCPOA. Um, so Devin, if you could, how has the dissolution of the JCPOA or the Iran nuclear deal affected nuclear safety in Iran and in that surrounding area? And what, what is the UN's role in that? That's a very good question. And unfortunately, um, in terms of, you know, what is the UN's role in the JCPOA and the Iran nuclear deal? Um, at this time, I really encourage delegates to do a little bit more research on the on this topic themselves. Um, the Iran nuclear deal is an ongoing issue. Um, and in terms of speaking on it at the moment, there's a lot of developments taking place, especially in regards with the United States and Iran and the JCPOA. Um, so I think that in terms of this issue, because of its um, ongoing development, delegates um, should consider researching it a little bit more to gain a deeper understanding. Um, so at this time, I don't have much to offer. Yeah, definitely. And even uh, the Iran nuclear deal, as complicated as it is a subject for the delegates to have to research while the developments are ongoing during their research process and even maybe right before the uh, the uh, conference it's going to be uh, it's going to be a very uh, hot topic so uh, yes it's probably a very good piece of advice to uh, to make sure that you're really researching that and sticking with your uh, country's policy on that um, but if that's everything uh, do you have any uh, 
further thoughts or follow-ups, anything you want the delegates to know before the end of this part? Yeah, um, you know, as Sunny was mentioning, the Iran nuclear deal is going to be a very hot topic that delegates should take into consideration and promote heavily within discussion. Um, it is a very important, vital factor to keep up with. Um, and I'm looking, I'm really looking forward to see what you all come up with in committee. And I'm looking forward to seeing you all in the work that you do. Yeah, it should be uh, one of the one of the best debates, I think, in the entire conference. So uh, thank you, Devin, for joining us on this part and uh, take care. Great. Thank you so much, Sunny. Hello, and welcome to part two of the GA4 Fission Radio episode. I am still your host, Sonny Rosano, but now I'm joined by Bryce Tapp, author of the review of UNRWA Background Guide. Would you like to introduce yourself, Bryce? Hi, Sonny. Thanks so much for having me on the show. And um, yeah, so I've been with Fishman for a couple of years and on the board, and I was a delegate um, for many years before that. And um, yeah, I'm, this was actually a topic I had as a delegate my junior year of high school in GA4. And I'm very excited and very, very happy to see that it's coming back for the delegates. I think it's very relevant and it, there's a lot to talk about. So yeah. Yeah, I think it's going to spawn some uh, very good debate. But before we get into it, though, uh, in order to help you get to know Bryce a little better, uh, I have a bit of an icebreaker uh, question for you. Uh, So what is your favorite holiday and why? Yeah, my favorite holiday is definitely Halloween. Um, Living in the Northeast, Halloween is it's very fall. The leaves are changing. It's a little it's getting getting cooler out. And I just love um, you know, being able to watch like horror movies and eat a lot of candy and um, decorate my apartment, you know, with some spooky stuff for Halloween, um, listen to some scary podcasts. It's just the whole, there's a whole vibe with it. And um, I really like that. It's, it's very, it's very comforting, very warm. So I like that a lot. That's a good question. Well, Thank you. I don't mean to start any controversy, but I think Halloween's my least favorite holiday just because of the <laughs> scary movies. I am not a fan. I'm, I'm a, I can't, the jump scares can't do it, but you know, that's to each his own, right? I could give you so many good recommendations if you liked it, but you're missing out. You're missing out. I don't know, but we, all right, let's, <laughs> let's get into it. Um, so first of all, can you tell us a little bit about what um, UNRWA is and why it was created? Yeah. So the, um, so UNRWA stands for the United Nations Relief and Works Agency for Palestinian Refugees in the Near East. It's shortened to UNRWA. UNRWA was created in December of 1949 through General Assembly Resolution 302, and it was designed in response to the displacement of around 700 or more than 700,000 Palestinian people. Um, The estimate that we have in our background guide is around 750,000 people um, after the creation of the state of Israel. And um, in that same resolution, um, in fact, the General Assembly Um, adopted the concept of the right of return of those original Palestinian refugees um, to their, from their, to to return to their displaced homes. Um, And essentially the resolution, um, UNRWA, in that resolution, UNRWA was established to um, work with local governments with direct relief for these Palestinian refugees and to work with local governments and regional powers 
yeah, in consultation with them to help the refugees um, in the um, Middle East. Um, even though, so the language, I'll just comment on the language. The language at the time, the UN adopted the term like Near East, but now we would refer to that as the Middle East um, or the Levant region um, is another way to refer to this region where this the activities take place. Um, so the regions surrounding like Israel, Jordan, Southern Syria, um, Sinai Peninsula, Gaza, um, and Lebanon. Um, but today, UNRWA's work um, primarily consists of being a direct service provider to Palestinian refugees, um, you know, um, um, even though it does not represent them directly, even though, and it also does not administer the refugee camp. So it provides really services. So we're talking schools, medical care, um, there's a, there's a bunch of other um, services that it provides as well. Um, so that, that's, that's sort of a very general overview of what UNRWA is, where it comes from, um, why it was created and what it does today. Yeah, thank you. And it sounds like UNRWA has a lot of uh, good, good, thing, good goals set and um, a very, very good mission. But uh, obviously, sometimes those, uh, those goals can't be carried out in the way that everyone likes, especially in an area as volatile as the Middle East. So what are some of the criticisms of UNRWA and how can the GA4 work to alleviate those issues to help better help those needs? So one of the criticisms that has come to the fore recently has been this idea that um, the people serviced by UNRWA are not technically refugees. So um, in 2018, um, Secretary, former Secretary of State Michael Pompeo um, I believe he tweeted, if I'm not, I don't know where the source of the quote came from. I believe it was a tweet. Um, he said that, quote, most Palestinians under UNRWA's jurisdictions aren't refugees. And then he went on to say that UNRWA is a hurdle to peace in the region. Um, so there's this idea that um, the refugees, so there's this idea that UNRWA was created to serve the people that were directly displaced because of the creation of the state of Israel, those 750,000 plus people. But those 750,000 plus people have now since they've married, they've had children, they've had grandchildren, so they've had great-grandchildren. Um, and these are the people that are still being served by UNRWA. So there's this criticism that UNRWA is beyond its mandate, so to speak, um, and that the people that are currently being serviced by it are not technically refugees. Um, and so, by withholding someone with so the 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 point of contention is that all right thank you for that for that very thorough answer um so you mentioned a little bit about the u.s criticisms against unra and because of those criticisms uh they actually revoked some of their funding to unra because of you know their uh unra's fiscal fiscal policies and stuff like that so as it stands now how sustainable is the unra's source of funds yeah, that, that's, thank you for that question. That's fantastic that we're going to talk about that. Um, so back in 2018, I believe it was, um, the, the um, Trump administration withdrew its funding from UNRWA, um, critiquing its fiscal and economic policies. And um, it was around $150 million um, that they withdrew from UNRWA, which is a substantial portion of the UNRWA budget. And the, the Biden administration, um, as of April 2021 has since restored that $150 million in support. Most of that money um, that UNRWA says, the majority of the funds operate 700 schools, educating over half a million children and almost 150 primary health clinics, providing 8.5 million patient consultations a year. 
So the vast majority of that $150 million is going to direct aid to refugees as well. Um, hence the need for that aid to um, be sustained, uh, be continual source of funding to the agency. UNRWA's biggest um, donors are from the United, uh, European Union member states and the European Union as a, as a whole um, gives UNRWA, the, I believe the vast majority of its funding. Um, but that does not mean that UNRWA still is not, is not, that does not mean that UNRWA is in great financial shape. So recently the head of the United Nations Aid Agency for Palestinian Refugees has warned that the organization is in quote unquote, a danger zone and faces a potential collapse and that it cannot maintain the services it provides to millions of refugees without additional funding. Um, so, um, so this underscores the fact that UNRWA is, is as, the, as the leader of UNRWA has said, the quote unquote, the only lifeline of many of these, the vast majority of the Palestinian refugees in Jordan, Lebanon, Syria, and the occupied territories, which includes West Bank, East Jerusalem, and the Gaza Strip. So as on 8th, 8, November 8th, 2021, Al Jazeera reported that the head of UNRWA um, said that the organization is facing a quote, existential end quote budget crisis. And he appealed for urgent funding of $120 million to keep essential education, healthcare and other services running. So what the delegates are going to need to do for, um, to help restore this is to really, understand that the budget crisis is, is emergency. It is an emergency um, that the, that GA4 needs to um, help resolve. And they also, the role of the GA4 and the delegates in this, um, in this emerging issue with funding is that they can really help create um, sustainable streams of capital flow into UNRWA. Um, so instead of having these urgent appeals that happen like once a year, and then there's always a shortfall of the budget appeals to come up with creative ways for to encourage member states to increase funding, um, to raise money um, that is not reliant on political um, maneuvering in countries. So if an there's an administration change in the United States again, you know, the question has to be raised, is that $150 million going to be taken again from UNRWA? That's a substantial part of their budget. Um, so, so there are sustainability questions with money that the delegates need to raise about how, um, how reliable certain streams, of certain streams of income are going to be. Thank you. And kind of speaking on, you know, reliability of funds, uh, the COVID-19 pandemic really affected a lot of uh, UN missions and, uh, you know, committees in the UN because countries just didn't have the, the resources to uh, devote. So how should uh, the, uh, the COVID-19 pandemic affect how delegates view the um, UNRWA? Yeah. Um, so I just want to, for the delegates to know, um, I found the number as in 2012, the United States um, contributed to 71% of the UNRWA budget. Um, so I would say that one of the ways that, well, I'll answer your question, but uh, one of the ways that the, um, that the General Assembly Fourth Committee can help create a more robust budget is um, to diversify the um, contribution portfolio, um, so to speak. Um, so, you know, part of the, um, COVID-19 pandemic and the recession that we went through this past year and still are in for the most part um, now um, has been that 
contributions to UNRWA have diminished. And that's why UNRWA is facing the existential threat that it's facing now um, is because countries aren't able to contribute as much anymore. Um, so for example, um, well, one of the ways, well, an example of the ways that COVID-19 has impacted the um, United Nations Relief Work Agency is just in education alone. So um, because of school closures from March, 2020 until the end of that school year, um, approximately 533,000 school children um, were displaced from school or not able to have school for the for um, for that for that school year. And so with over half a million children now a year behind in their education, UNRWA is rapidly developing plans to ensure that children return to school safely and as soon as possible. So in the United States, for example, you know, vaccine reliability and um, you know, adequate um, school facilities is, is, is allowing students to come back to school and has allowed students to come back to school. But we can't assume the same thing for many of these um, refugee um, facilities where these, or, um, or these school facilities where the refugees or children are receiving their education. Um, as much as delegates should plan on creating um, um, strategies to develop and not to develop, to um, deploy um, vaccines for these school children, the delegates really need to be creative in ways that they can create safe um, and reliable areas and school facilities for children to return to um, within health guidelines to ensure that these children who are already a year behind don't um, lag behind another year um, in their educational development. If conditions refugee camps are not conducive for preventing the spread of infectious diseases, and Fishman has done reports on this and background guides on this in the past, and um, that refugees and refugee camps and facilities really represent the most vulnerable among us whenever it comes to the spread of infectious diseases. And now that we're in a pandemic, um, you know, that needs to be considered, but also education needs to be at the top of that list as well. Um, because if children are two, three years behind in their education, educational attainment, um, then that, that's going to have detrimental effects decades, decades down the road. Thank you for that for that answer. It sounds like uh, GA4 has a lot to consider and a lot to debate on, uh, especially with education and uh, how COVID-19 is uh, spreading and how we can get vaccines there. So I, I wish the delegates luck on that. Uh, Bryce, do you have any further thoughts or any follow-ups that you want to leave the delegates with? Yeah, thank you, Sonny. And um, I would say to the delegates, you know, best of luck in your research and in your deliberations as well. Um, and I'm trying to, you know, think about things that we discussed um, when I was a delegate. So I guess it would be my closing thought is that, um, there might be a tendency to focus on the economics of this and how we can economically develop the region, so to speak, or these occupied territories. But at the end of the day, UNRWA is, or the way that UNRWA can facilitate that economic development. And whenever I was a delegate, that's what we really focus on quite a bit. But I think the temptation to focus on that is going to, I would steer the delegates away from that. And I would say, focus on the essentials, focus on what UNRWA is already doing, how it can be improved, funding, education, personal protection equipment, um, health and safety um, standards, um, providing medical care. These essential tasks and these essential duties of the organization are going to be the way that the committee can really succeed if they really deep dive into the topic um, and deep dive into these um, the way that these services are delivered um, 
Yeah. So I think focus on the essentials, focus on the basics and, um, and then get into the nitty gritty of those details. And I think that that's where the committee will find its most success. Awesome. Well, thank you, Bryce, so much for talking with us about your background guide and good luck, delegates on researching.